You're listening to The Influencer Podcast, episode number six. In last week's episode, we dove deep into growing a brand using affiliate marketing with business development manager for ShopStyle Collective, Deanna Ritter. In this week's episode, we learn how to focus in on our social media brand with Callie Chiladinko, founder of Something Social. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. Each week, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist and New York Times bestselling publicist, takes you behind the scenes with successful influencers, bloggers, and industry elites in conversation to share how they engage, persuade, and grow their unique influence. Her mission is to share exclusive insider tips, wisdom, and action-based tools to help you strengthen, monetize, and build your own industry-leading influence. Hey, influencers, and welcome to today's episode. I am with such a special woman today and so thrilled to have her on the show. I get to introduce you guys to Callie Chiladinko, whom I've had the pleasure of knowing for a couple of years now. She is based here in Los Angeles and is the founder of Something Social, a social media and creative agency specializing in lifestyle brands. After graduating from USC, Callie didn't believe in a one-size-fits-all career path, And when it hit her that she couldn't simply stumble upon the place where her knack of branding, creative strategies, photography, and business development all collided, she very naturally created it. Callie found her niche of bringing brands to life through social media, and since its inception in early 2014, Something Social has grown to work with top lifestyle brands on both a local and national level, along with industry leaders and community influencers. Past and present clients include Westfield, Skechers, 901 Salon, the Hwood Group, Wild Fox, Greenleaf, Cycle House, and the Glam app, just to name a few. Callie has been featured in Boss Ladies Magazine, the Planoli Blog, and the Balanced Blonde. And when Callie isn't running the social media world, you can find her teaching intro to social media at FITM or speaking at various national conferences, including Social Media Marketing World and Simply Stylist, all by looking fabulous, I may add. And if you don't follow Callie or Something Social on Instagram, you must start today. Ever since I had the privilege of meeting Callie, I was immediately drawn to her infectious personality. And once you do meet Callie, you can't help but to be in awe of her creative spirit, her warmth, her vast knowledge of this industry, and her all-over energy that she exudes. She is such a force of joy and innovation, a true connector at heart, and I can't wait to dive into our conversation today. So welcome to the Influencer Podcast, Callie. It's so great to have you. What an intro. Thank you, Julie. I am so thrilled to be here. Um, I feel the same way about you. You're such a light and an inspiration. And I mean, we connected the moment we met. So I'm thrilled to be here. And I really appreciate you having me. Yes. Well, thank you. And we can just go ahead and dive in. I would love if you could share with us about how you kind of went from California native, USC grad to then really, you know, like founding your own amazing business all before the age of 25 years old. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, as you mentioned, you know, I'm from Los Angeles. I went to USC and I had a lot of interests um, in high school and in college. And therefore that led to me having a lot of internships in various areas. So I did fashion PR and traditional PR and events and nightlife and entertainment and production and all of these areas that I thought um, I had so much interest in. And one by one, I realized that, you know, none of them were really for me. So I graduated in 2013 and it was kind of right as Instagram was becoming a thing. It's so funny to think that now, 
But at the time, you know, we all had Instagram, we used it. Obviously, we had been on Facebook for a while. But the concept of a career of posting Instagrams was like the dreamiest. Right. So, you know, I and I ended up having um, a friend of a friend who was hiring in social media. And to be honest, it was like, what do you mean? What do you mean she's hiring in social media? Like, what does that even entail? Right. And so after kind of figuring out that this agency was helping brands create content, do their posting, their day-to-day management. I was super interested in it. And, um, I started working there and slowly, but surely I realized that social media really was kind of the intersection of all of my interests from marketing and business development to creative and content and photography, and then the communication and the interpersonal connections and the brand storytelling and There were just so many buckets that social media really hit for me. And so I found my passion there. And I found that at the time I was working with only fashion brands and I realized that I wanted to expand into other lifestyle areas really that I had interest in. And so when Cycle House, which was my, and still is my absolute favorite spin studio, asked me to help them with a little bit of their consulting, ended up leading to a job offer, I kind of on a whim was like, you know what? I'll just start my own company. You guys can be my first client. And that's how it started. Wow. That is so amazing. And and I'm so glad that you brought up Cycle House because I want to get into them um, in a little bit um, because I think that it's so cool that you kind of were on the forefront of so much of this, especially kind of this resurgence that happened with social media in in LA. Um, But can you tell us a little bit more about something social and, you know, it obviously came about from what you you just said, but then how did it really evolve into the services that you provide today and really the business that it is today? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, I started kind of on a whim. It was me. I had my phone, my laptop, <laughs> and, um, and, an, and an understanding of social media and how users were starting to engage on the platform. And so I really believed in what I was doing really early on. And I think that that played a big role in my confidence for going out after new clients, talking to new people. It came naturally because I knew that so many people didn't understand how to navigate the digital space and how to use social media to their benefit. And I was seeing it happen so clearly on the other side that I was just getting more and more excited and passionate about it. So I think part of it was that I really was like my own hype man. You know, anyone who would ask me, I would talk about it. I would share about it. I would post about it. Um, I thought I was so cool that part of my job was like taking photos and putting them on Instagram. So I was happy to, you know, to share that with people. And really by word of mouth, it started to spread that brands who were looking for someone for social media in Los Angeles, like, oh, I know this, you know, I know this girl and she's doing it. So it's funny, the name Something Social came, um, I had made lists and lists of all these names I wanted from blank social, social blank, this, that, and the other. And one by one, everything was either taken or trademarked or already existed in some other sort of arena. And I was getting kind of frustrated. And finally, I was like, you know, I just need like something social. And I was like, there it is. That's it. That's it. Um, And so that's how the name came about. But really, the way the business grew was by word of mouth. 
So after Cycle House, I had a couple referrals come from there because there's so many people in the community doing so many different things. And they started noticing the, you know, the changes on the Cycle House Instagram and, and word of mouth kind of spread around. And I would go to these meetings and I just believed in what I was doing. I knew I didn't have a big fancy office or years of experience, but the beauty of social media is that it didn't exist years, you know, years and years ago in the way it does now. So the experience and the requirements are very different. The barriers to entry were very low. And, um, I think a combination of like the knowledge base I was developing and my passion for what I was doing really spoke for itself. And one by one, we started getting new clients. Um, even if someone would say, you know, our second or third client came from someone telling me about their new business and wanting me to try out their service. And I came back with, great, by the way, I started a new company, you know, maybe we should chat. And so I definitely put myself out there and spoke a lot about what I was doing to a lot of people. And I pretty much said yes to every meeting. And in the beginning, I took on the majority of clients that came to me to continue to build and build. And then finally, when the workload just got too much for me to handle, um, I hired my first employee who started part-time and she's now our vice president of operations. She's been with me for, you know, over two years. Don't know what I would do without her. Um, and after the workload got too big for her and I, we did our third employee and too big for the three of us. We got our fourth and now we're at seven. God, that's amazing. And it just kind of like this domino effect just from really your relationships and word of mouth. And obviously, you know, you doing great work as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the word of mouth was, was huge for sure. Um, and I think that's true in really any business. Um, you know, just kind of the relationships are really everything. So, um, I would love to know too, kind of what really influenced you to be so driven at such a young age? What, was there a specific moment or situation that happened in your life? Or was there a person who really kind of pushed you to succeed? Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs or was it something that was just kind of, you know, like this still small voice in you that really kind of helped you kind of drive what you knew you wanted to do in life? Yeah. So by, um, both my parents had their own business. So my dad is an attorney, a personal injury lawyer, and he's always had his own firm. And my mom is a chiropractor, funnily how they met. Um, and her and her sister who were both chiropractors had their own practice, um, which she stepped away from when I was born and then went back to years later. So they definitely did both have their own businesses, but growing up, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, in Los Angeles, everyone is in entertainment or a doctor or a lawyer. And, and it was like, that was all I really knew in the job space. So I do remember all throughout elementary school, all of my teachers and all of my parents' friends would always call me such a leader. Callie's such a leader. Look at her go, look at her do this. You're going to be running the world. And you know, when you're little and you hear these things, you just think it's because the people that are around you love you and they know you and they want to support you. Um, but I definitely did have a little bit of that bossiness in me, which I think when I was very young would come off a little, not so great. Um, but as you grow and you mature, you know, I started to pick up on the fact that when I spoke, people listened and if I wanted to make something happen, it would. And if I wanted to corral a group of people to go do a certain thing, I could get them all to do it. And so I think as I got 
you know, as I started to grow and, and in college and all of that, I, I did start to trust that there was something in me that was capable of creating something bigger. Um, you know, my brother is very, my older brother is very creative. He was always an, um, painting or doing art or cooking. And in high school, I was just always with my friends. And I think I always would see him as the creative one and maybe not, you know, get in touch with my own creativity, but I knew that there was this leader in me. And so it really was, um, after college and and trying to figure out what I wanted to do at my first job, I started having a lot of friends pull me aside or sit me down or talk to me and say, Hey, like you should create your own company. You could be doing what you're doing on your own. And for a while I kind of was like, yeah, sure. Maybe I could. And then when that opportunity with cycle house presented itself, I think there was just an innate knowing that like, this was it. This was my opportunity. I had a ton of support from my family. I had a ton of support from my friends. Um, and like I said, you no, know, we didn't need startup money or there wasn't anything huge to invest in other than really my skill set. And so it was kind of a beautifully natural transition. Um, but certainly, you know, little things along the way led me to eventually believe in myself enough to start my own company. Well, and I love what you said about how, you know, it was like your brother was, you know, you kind of viewed him as being this creative force that was always doing these these creative things. And then you were hanging out with your friends. But like what I hear you say when you say that, it's like you were being social with your friends. And then it's like (laughs) it evolves into like that is kind of your creative force is being this social, you know, person that that can find the creative, the creativity throughout the connection of that. So I think that that's really neat. And it's it's really kind of what makes you so authentic with who you are, not only as a person, but really as a brand. And that's one of the things that have, that has always kind of struck me about you is your authenticity and really how innovative you are as a brand. And I would love to know how this is attributed to your success, not only as a marketer, but kind of as an influencer as well. And I want to dive into this for a bit and ask kind of, you know, is there a strategy for this, be it consciously or not, that's behind your authenticity as a brand? And I mean, I think from what you just said, it it may kind of be more subconscious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the biggest driving forces I've always had, and I've always tried to instill in something social's brand and the brands that we work with is really like, it comes down to the two words of like, do you like you keep it you because at the end of the day, and especially with social media, it is so easy to look at what everybody else is doing and check out everybody else's success and compare it to your own and wonder what you're doing and what they're doing. And it's just very easy to go down that, that hole. And what I've found in all the brands that I admire and all the people I look up to, it's because there was something that was unique about them and they were unapologetically them. And, you know, in looking towards a lot of industry leaders and thought leaders and and brands that had a lot of early success as well on social media, it was like there was one thing that just made them them and they kept putting that out there. And I noticed for me in the beginning, 
I, ne- I didn't really have like a brand identity when I started my own Instagram or my own social media presence and slowly but surely playing around with editing tools and tinkering with apps and filters and captions. It was like slowly but surely I noticed that I had an aesthetic and a look and a tone and I started using that as a creative outlet to express myself and finding such joy in an aesthetically pleasing photo. And I'd be walking down the street and the palm tree of the shadow on the wall would hit it so nicely that I would literally be like giddy about finding these little (laughs) moments out in the world. Yeah. And I just started sharing them. I didn't know that people would really be interested in it, but I think that you know, sharing the pieces of my life that I find such joy in, translating that into social media is what then kind of led to having a personal brand and an aesthetic. And then of course that bled into something socials brand and how we wanted to communicate ourselves and what our brand identity was. And that's really the starting point with all of our clients. The first, first, first thing we say to them is, who are you? Like, what are you about? What are your driving values? What makes you, you, and how can we then find a way to tell that story through, you know, compelling visuals and captions and whatnot? Um, how can we tell your story in the social media space? And I think the way that you say that is, is so dead on because it's really about, you know, how can we sell you, but in a way of, you know, servicing you, you know, and, re- and really sharing mm-hmm. your story. And I love that, you know, and that's why I'm like obsessed with anything that you post on <laughs> social media, because you are such, you know, you just have this eye for the creative visual and you can, you've really been able to perfectly curate how to tell a story through a photo. And I, I love that. That's why I love your feed. I've always loved your feed. And, and it's been always kind of one of the things that, has always drawn me to your pages, you know, not only your personal page, but then something socials page as well. And, you know, I think that kind of the art of selling through that is something that I would love to, to kind of dive deep with you for a moment. You know, so many people see sales or marketing, you know, or kind of like getting your idea out there into the world as some form of like manipulation or like pushy car salesman type of stuff. But of course, you know, I'm of the mindset as a marketer that the sell is really the service and kind of what you were just talking to at the end of the day, that if you don't toot your own horn and really show pay people and showcase people who you are and what you do and how you serve them, then you won't be able to really grow. And that's, you know, that's how you grow as a business owner. That's how your company grows. So I would love to know how you kind of reframe this idea of selling, not only for you, but for your clients. And then how do you use that in your business to add the value into your clients? work in life? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great, great question. And I'm glad you brought it up because we, we do run into this a lot. You know, people have an amazing product or an amazing service or an incredible offering to the world and they believe in it and they trust in it. And then when it comes to putting it out there, all of a sudden, they're shy. They don't want to talk about themselves. They don't want to brag. They don't want to get their ego up. It's like, I think it's the ego that just jumps up in there. And for some reason decides, you know, to to tell us that we shouldn't be putting ourselves out there. But at the end of the day, I really believe like that's how people are going to find you and connect with you. And if anything, if you have a valuable service to give to the world or you add something special, you're almost robbing 
new people from experiencing you by not being willing to share it. And so, you know, there is, of course, there's always going to be a fine line between being pushy and being salesy and getting your name out there. But I think that as long as it's coming from an authentic place of like, listen, we do this, we offer this and we believe in it. We're passionate about it. It's what sets our souls on fire. It's what wakes us up in the morning. If you put content out there coming from that place, I think that the audience can tell and the audience can pick up on the passion and authenticity and it no longer looks like a sale, but like a sharing of your knowledge or a sharing of yourself. And people really are going on to social media to connect, to share and to see what other people are doing. And I think if the, if the ego could get out of the way of, Oh, but I don't want to, you know, make people down their throat. I think if the ego could get out of the way and you could just come from a place of like, listen, I want to put this out into the world because I believe in it. I think that that kind of hesitant nature of people would, would go away. Totally. And I, and I think that what you do and you do so well is that you're able to kind of to, to really help resonate that in the support of the brand's that you work with. And one of my favorite things that really struck, kind of stuck with me about you and your work is how you have really helped shape the success of so many lifestyle brands. And I want to talk about Psycho House and the Glam Map in particular, just because those are two of your clients that I have been a client of. You know, I've used the Glam Map numerous times for events and things like that. And then Psycho House, whenever I want to go in and be killed by Nichelle, I will go in there (laughs) and just sweat my day away. Um, But what I think is so unique is that, you know, pretty much from the beginning or even perhaps in the pre-launch phases of these two very successful companies and businesses, you were kind of able to be a voice in that pre-launch phase. And you know, I know just through my background of, of publicity and marketing, if you have the opportunity to be a part of the pre-launch phase, like that's gold, you know? And so to really like be able to come alongside these creative forces who have, you know, thought these companies up or really developed them and you can really kind of help them bring their vision to life. So I would love to hear a little bit more about how being involved with, you know, a company like, like Cycle House or Glam Map from the beginning can really kind of help impact their long-term success. Yeah. You know, I, it's funny because not only are these two of our very early on clients, but they also, um, the founders of each happen to be two of my best friends. So I am extremely passionate um, about both of these, about both of these companies. And I think, you know, cycle house, I, I really truly view it as like my child. They were our first client and it's been such a joy and so exciting, like you said, to be with them. You know, they'd already been around for a while when I started working with them, but their brand was continuing to grow. And I really was there for the beginning of, you know, the main marketing and, and branding and before they moved studios and opened a second location. And with all of these milestones that the company has hit, that's been a story to tell on social. And I think for both of these brands. And like you said, you know, you're, you've been a client of both. There's really a community aspect. There's, you know, with cycle house, there is a avid fan base and there's such a culture and you don't totally get that until you. And so for cycle house specifically, it was so important for us to show the world and to show new followers or maybe people who hadn't been there yet 
just how incredible the culture of the brand was and how incredible the space and the energy and all of that. And it's hard to find a way to showcase an energy or a vibe when you're trying to do it through, you know, visuals and words mm-hmm. on a page. Um, and so it's been, that was like a very exciting one for us was to figure out how do we shape the narrative and how do we tell people who might not have walked these doors yet or been in a dark room or been yelled at by Michelle or, you know, any of those sorts of things. How do we show people like how magical what they're doing is? And, and I think at the end of the day, it's not always about the product or the service, but it's the feeling that you get from it. Totally. you know, we might not be showing the, the arm series in the middle of a spin class, but we're going to show the sweat and the laughter and joy that comes after a class. Or we're going to show like the intensity of people heading into the room or all of the little aspects that you have to start paying attention to to say, okay, if we have a static image and we have words on a page, how are we supposed to communicate all of the incredible energetic elements that go into making this place what it is. Um, and that was the mindset there. And then same thing, you know, with the glam app, we started before they launched and it was an incredible idea from Kara and Joey. And we had two awesome founders who believed in, again, believed in the product and we're so excited from two different perspectives to get this out in the world. Kara as, you know, a, a client and Joey being an incredible artist and stylist himself and seeing that there were so many talented people out there that needed more space to work and flexibility and, you know, room to grow their portfolio. And so working with them again, it was, okay, how do we showcase all of the thought and love and care and creativity and purpose behind this brand through visuals of, you know, the beauty and also just the kind of the mission statement of what they're trying to accomplish. Totally. And I think that that's, you know, kind of the art of, of selling or the art of their, their service and what you guys have been able to do has really translated so beautifully. And like, and I, I'll even say sometimes I'll leave cycle house and I feel like I've just left church you know, like I'll come out, I'll be like crying, you know, I've just like, I've been put through the ringer emotionally and physically, and I just feel so recharged and like ready to take on my day. And with, you know, with sharing the story of something like a glam map, that's really, its purpose is to really make, you know, someone feel beautiful from the inside out and just know that they don't have to stress about that because it's, it's, you know, they're here to help you, they serve you, to help you feel beautiful, and then you can go on about your day. And so I think that really crafting the community and the service behind those things, you guys have really hit the nail on the head beautifully with both of those. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on so you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff, and it's called This is Small Business. 
This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business business for sponsoring the show. And I would love to know kind of really what makes something social unique when focusing in on these kinds of strategies and really kind of matching the right influencers with the right brands in order to shape the story visually and that we had kind of just touched on. I would love for you if you could kind of walk us through how you do that a bit without, of course, like giving away all of your secrets, Mm -hmm. but really to help maybe a listener who may not understand how to narrow in on that strategy. Maybe they follow Cycle House and they see how you do it, but they don't really understand the how and maybe a walkthrough of how they could implement it with their own strategy could be helpful. Absolutely. I think with, as I've said, and I've spoken to a little bit throughout this, this interview is What's really important for us is to match the brand with its audience and to identify the unique characteristics and the vision and the values of the brand. And so everything that we do comes from a very, you know, tailor-made approach and, and strategy. And the same goes for influencer. And the influencer space is obviously just growing exponentially. And, you know, there are so many incredibly talented content creators and storytellers and bloggers and people willing to share and talk about these brands in a unique, authentic, organic way. Like it's really, truly incredible when you think about the power of influence these days and and helping brands tell their stories. And I think it can get overwhelming for some people because there are so many influencers out there now and they all have their own thing going on and you might see them you know, on different platforms or on different people's pages. And it can feel difficult to you know, weed through them all and figure out who you want to work with and who's the right fit for your brand. And do you just, you know, email all of them? Do you narrow it down? Like, how do you navigate that space? And so for us, the same, the same strategy and the same thinking that goes into our content, our copywriting, our campaigns goes through into influencer, which is really tailoring the influencer to match the brand. At the end of the day, you want your audiences to match because if an influencer is speaking on behalf of the brand, you want their audience to be interested in what they're talking about. And if something, you know, comes out of left field, you're going to lose their influence won't have as much hold. So what that means for us is identifying, okay, we are, you know, working for this brand and it's a beauty brand. So let's go and find the girls that are, or the, or the men that are shaping the beauty space. And it's a lot of, it's honestly a lot of research. It's a lot of sitting on Instagram, clicking through brands, clicking through events, seeing who's following who, and really using Instagram as a discovery tool. We have a database, you know, internally, and as we've worked with influencers that we keep a running list and we know a lot of the girls that we've worked with and we kind of have them segmented by the categories that make sense for them. But if you don't have that, you can start to build it by, you know, every time that you see someone 
working with a brand that might make sense for you, like write them down, put their name, their handle, their email, um, their followers, whatever you, you know, metric is important for you to know and kind of keep a running list because that helps not, it, 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 it helps organize everything and not make it so overwhelming so that, you know, a month down the road when it's time to launch a campaign, you're not then going to start sifting through Instagram. You now have your little running list of people that might make sense for your brand. Um, and it's stuff as simple as like, okay, we're a fitness brand. Let's go look at a, an apparel line in the fitness space that we love. Go to that apparel line. Let's see who they've been working with. Okay. They worked with this girl. They worked with that girl. Well, great. If we like that apparel brand and this girl likes that apparel brand, it's a pretty good potential that that girl might also want to work with our fitness brand. So it's a lot of kind of connecting the dots with other relevant brands and checking out, you know, if there's an event that is, has a similar audience, check the geotag of the event, see who attended it, see who talked about it, see who shared and start putting together the pieces of, if you have a certain type of content that you're trying to create, make sure that the aesthetic of the person that you're looking to work with matches that creative and matches that aesthetic. Those are such good takeaways. And I love your idea about the geotag. Cause sometimes I think it's just, it, it's things that sound so simple that you don't think about, you know? And totally. so I think it's, it's important to kind of remember that it, you know, it can, it can be a lot, um, a lot more simplified than I think sometimes we tend to make it. Um, and now I know a big challenge that I've seen, and I know that you've seen kind of in this digital marketing, blogging, influencer industry is undervaluing. And I'm really eager to talk to you about this because I just wrote a blog post about this two weeks ago, which essentially, you know, I kind of discussed that the problem that I think our industry is facing as a whole is when vloggers, bloggers, influencers really undervalue their work. And it does throw off, you know, the standard rates and fees and really just kind of where we're trying to set the bar, so to speak. And, you know, I talked about how, you know, basically, if you're just continuously and consistently doing deals and social media coverage for free or for gifted product, then you're essentially undervaluing yourself. And it's going to completely throw off the rest of the industry because at the end of the day, you know, this kind of is the Wild West. You know, we have no union. We have no SAG. We have no guidebook. Um, so we, we kind of have to really, you know, remember that it's just as important for us to set that standard or we're just going to continue to not only steal from ourselves, but really steal from the industry around us. So I would love to hear more on your take with undervaluing how you think it's impacting the industry and really what influencers can start doing today to keep them from devaluing themselves. Yeah, I, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I think we're really on the same page with it. It, it's the wild west. There's no better way to explain it. And there aren't standards and everyone's kind of trying to figure it out as they go. And, um, you know, I think that we're all in this to share a little bit of ourselves, get in the creative mix and also at the end of the day, build a business. And I think that you know, I hate to say this, but I think that somehow, some way, there's also something we're all females and there is something about money and it's hard to talk about and it's hard to figure out what to charge. And I think that our, our society and our, in our industry is slowly but surely getting over that hump and, you know, starting to, um, be more comfortable with the topic of the fees and the money and all of that. But at the end of the day, 
I think the most important thing we all know is to value the work that we're doing and to believe in it and to see an end goal too. And to have the, I guess the wherewithal to understand that if we're not putting, you know, we're not going to ask for a certain something, somebody else will, and they're going to get it. And so that's kind of how I always think of it. I look at other people and I see that, you know, there's no shame in, in demanding a certain level of respect and professionalism when it comes to rates and charging and this, that, and the other. And I think it's also okay for everybody to talk about it. Like if you're a new influencer and you don't know what to charge, ask around. There's enough people in the space now that somebody else can help you out. And so, you know, start asking around. I know Julie, you write amazing blogs about this as well. Like read up on industry standards and, and really grab hold of a number that, you know, no matter what, you will not go below this and be okay with saying no, if it's not right for you. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's the kicker is that we get excited and we want to work with these brands or we want to take something on and eh, they don't have the budget and eh, it's not really that right for us. But like, oof, we're so excited to work with this brand that we say yes. And then it's, oh, we overwork ourselves and we put out too much resources and we end up losing money on the deal. So, totally. you know, I think, I think part of it is, is being okay with saying no. And sometimes I test it out. You know, I say to myself, like, Let's see what happens. No, you know, let's say no to this. And, and they come back with a higher rate and all along they have the budget. They just weren't upfront about it. So right. they love to cry broke. Think, totally. Absolutely. And you know, if it's not the right fit, that's okay. Something else will come. Um, there's enough brands to go around and there's enough influencers to go around. And I think if we all come from a place of, of really like vastness rather than scarcity, then there's always going to be more deals and more budget and more value. Totally. And I loved what you said about saying no. It just like, I was like, Oh, preach Callie preach. I love it. Um, (laughs) I want to, um, chat about kind of, um, different platforms for a minute. Um, as a business owner and an industry elite in this space, how do you kind of stay on top of the game? How do you stay innovative? Are there podcasts that you listen to, articles that you read, conferences that you attend, platforms that you use? Are, are there anything that you, you know, as an industry elite that you're like, this really helps me stay on top of my game? Yes. Um, there are so many resources out there now for staying up to date with what's going on. It feels like every single day there's a new update on Instagram. I mean, number one, follow Instagram because they post about their (laughs) updates. Right. Um, but there is, you know, there's a lot of changing trends. So a couple of the practices we've instilled, um, Two of our outlets that we like to read up on are TechCrunch and Mashable, and those both have a lot of kind of industry standards and trends and things of that nature. So we have a little internal email or internal newsletter that circulates once a week where we have someone in our office, you know, scan through the blog, scan through what's happening and send any important little updates, tidbits, bolded pieces of information that we think we all need to know, um, around so that we can check up on that and and learn what's going on and what's new. Um, and then finding blogs that you enjoy reading. I know the Korean cultivate blog is awesome. Like there's always so much new content up there. Um, I, like you mentioned earlier, the Planoly blog, which is an awesome app. If it's a feed planning app for those who don't have it. Um, they always have exciting updates and then following industry 
leaders and, um, and kind of staying up to date that way. I think there's no lack of, of information, you know, on, on social media these days. And there are a lot of great conferences. Um, last year I was asked to speak at social media marketing world and I did again this year. And before that, you know, that was one I didn't know about. Um, and it's a huge conference. I was on a panel this year with the digital marketing head of Airbnb and he had so many insights to share that, um, I never even would have thought of. So I think any conference, um, and reading up on really any blog, there's just so many, there's no lack of new information anywhere. Um, and that's kind of our, our strategy for staying up to date. Yeah. Um, and I, and I do, I think that one, one of the stuff that I think may, or tends to kind of get overlooked for people are conferences because they really are such a wealth of knowledge. And especially on the West coast, I mean, there's, there's so many of them that are so good. And a lot of times people don't even know that they exist. Yeah. Um, so we know the power or of Instagram and its effectiveness on reach and conversion, even though a lot of us may not really know how to do it. We, we can kind of, to some degree, grasp the degree of the model that is Instagram. But what I've kind of been seeing a lot, um, and really over the past probably year, is, is, the, is the lack of being able to speak to different audiences on the other platforms. So for example, like a Facebook or a Pinterest. And I would love to get your thoughts on this because what I'm seeing is someone who may you know, think that they've got an understanding of Instagram will post a photo and a caption there, and then they'll do the exact same photo and caption on Facebook and Twitter and and Pinterest without ever considering that maybe their audience is different over there, or really the the language of that platform could be different. So I would love to get your thoughts on how influencers can better respect their different social platforms. It's a great question, and we get it often. And each platform now has such incredible insights built in. You know, there's been over the past few years, there's really been a trend and a call to arms for understanding more about who we're speaking to and understanding more about ROI and understanding more about, you know, where is this message going and who is it reaching and how are they engaging? And I mean, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest stay up days on end, you know, all night, all day to figure out how to best message to their audience and what tools they can put in and how they can make the platforms better for, um, for users to engage with brands. And so I think as a brand or as an influencer, really paying attention to what those insights are telling you. So do a deep dive, you know, go to Facebook insights, look at where your audience lives, see how old they are, see what gender they are. We've been really surprised sometimes to see wow, we have a more international audience than we thought, or wow, are really just in the U.S. here, or, you know, there's a, our second highest is in, like, Mexico. Who knew? Um, so there's a lot of interesting information that can come from each of these platforms built in insights, and I think looking at those and paying attention to them and then allowing them to inform your audience. So, you know, if you know that the majority of your Instagram audience are millennials, great. You can, you know, speak to that voice, speak to that audience. If you know that the majority of your Facebook fans you've now discovered are baby boomers, perhaps, you know, you know that there's maybe a different way that they want to engage a different type of content you want to be sharing. And it doesn't mean that you have to act as though you have three different businesses it just means, you know, maybe you save the rap lyric for Instagram and you put up a little, a little more of a, of a cutesy or straightforward caption on Facebook, or 
you know, maybe you notice your audience really likes on Twitter when you share facts or pieces of statistical information or, you know, little um, myth busters. So do that more. And same thing on Pinterest. You know, if you're seeing on Instagram, your lifestyle shots perform the best, but on Pinterest, your product shots are getting a ton of engagement. Continue to to tailor your strategies there and be open to um, be open to adjusting your strategy as you as you might need. Like, pay attention to the data and the feedback, and stay flexible and open in the sense that you might need to adjust the content and the the captions that you're putting on these various platforms. And then you'll see the success come with it. Totally. And that's, that's such a good reminder for people that you don't have to be, you know, glued to one strategy. As a matter of fact, your strategy should evolve because your audience should be evolving. So it's, it's good to remember that. Um, and I want to talk about your day, especially because, you know, I follow you on social. I watch your Instagram story like it's a movie because I'm always so fascinated <laughs> with how you get around L.A. And for listeners who don't live in L.A. and can't really grasp the amount of traffic, I mean, Callie kills it. Like, your your day should be a rap song because I will see you're up at, like, 6 a.m. working out in West Hollywood, and then at, like, 8.45, you're down in Santa Monica, and then 10.30, you're downtown, and then you're, like, over in Pasadena, and I'm like, girl is, like, killing the L.A. <laughs> travel game today. So I would love just to talk about your day, how it encompasses all around L.A., and really set the frame for us a little bit and tell us what that typical day looks like for you and how you try and set each day up for efficiency. Yes. A day in the life as an agency owner is certainly never the same. It's certainly different every day, which, you know, I love if routine is your thing, perhaps this isn't for you. Um, my days typically, typically consist of, I am an early riser. I like to work out before my day starts. I feel better. My brain works better. Um, I just have more energy. So I typically work out at seven in the morning. Um, these days I'm going to body by Simone quite a bit. Um, and so I usually work out at, at 7am. I do the thing they tell you not to do, which is read my emails and check my emails <laughs> before the day starts. Yes. Um, I try not to then let that stress me out throughout the rest of the day. I try to ignore whatever it is that you know, I might have read that morning um, and put it off at least until after my workout. So I do work out in the mornings. I come home. Um, I get ready for my day. And then typically, you know, my work day starts around 9 a.m. I might, again, check a few emails, post a few Instagrams early in the morning. Um, but my day really, really begins around 9 and. I might spend an hour at my desk, catching up, looking at what my schedule consists of. If I'm lucky, I would have meditated at this point um, when I can make when I do make it a priority, and that certainly helps. And then, really, right off the bat, 10 a.m., I might have a coffee or a breakfast or a meeting with um, a potential new client that you know we're going to go and pitch or talk about their brand or see what we can do for them. Um, we get a lot of new business inquiries, which is incredible and also time consuming because you're meeting with a bunch of people all the time. So that initial meeting might be in West Hollywood. It might be in Beverly Hills. It might be downtown Santa Monica. So we pop over there. Um, after that, you know, I typically try and line up my meetings back to back to get them all kind of done at the same time. 
might head to another one. Um, simultaneously, we may have a photo shoot going on for one of our clients, which one of our account directors would likely be there running it and doing their thing and they have it handled. But I usually like to pop by and say hello and maybe shoot some behind the scenes photos or put some things up on the Instagram story. Um, after that, I might pop back to the office, check in with my team, see who needs something. Um, we're very collaborative in our office. So we really like to work together on different projects and it's always, I mean, that's really one of the most rewarding things, which I can get to later, but watching my team in action is really phenomenal. Um, after that, I'll probably sit at home, you know, sit at the office, catch up on a few emails and then possibly back to another meeting this time with a current client. And, you know, it's either our weekly or our monthly meeting, depending on, um, you know, the day. And from there, it's either back to the office, back to another meeting. A lot of conference calls happen in the afternoon. And then again, checking with my team, seeing who needs me, checking in on emails that have piled up at this point. Um, and then working on and finishing out whatever sort of projects are going on for the rest of the day. So, and then probably to a dinner or an event or something after that at the end. It's a very boring day. <laughs> very boring. <laughs> Not Nothing going on. Yeah. No. Um, okay, so then I, and then I have to ask you that are there times as the CEO and really as, as the, the, the woman driving the ship that you ever feel, you know, fearful or kind of anxious of not being able to, to, to perform optimally or not to be able to have really enough time to get things done. How do you kind of move that forward anyway? How do you allow your, you know, your intuition, if you will, drive your business decisions and help you delegate and kind of make all this happen? It would be a bold-faced lie if I told you I never was fearful or overwhelmed <laughs> or stressed. Um, I think as any business owner knows, that there's always something. There's always a fire to put out or someone who needs you or someone who has a question or a client who needs something or, um, you know, there's, just, there's always something. And I think for the first couple of years, I really went on the roller coaster. I'd go up when things were amazing. I'd go down when things didn't feel as good. I would, you know, be stressed out if a client left. I would be super ecstatic if we signed someone new. Like, I rode the highs and I rode the lows. And luckily, I have surrounded myself with other business owners um, thought leaders and people who I trust and I look up to. And that's really, I think, been the main driving force around keeping me level headed. You know, my, like I said, my dad has his own firm. And even though it's a to lawyer, you know, it's a totally different space. There's a lot of similarities of, you know, if a client's getting stressed out or someone's this, or there's too much to do. And over the time he shared his tips with me of, you know, the work will always get done what he always says. He's like, if you don't get to it today, you're going to get to it tomorrow. And I think I walked through the first year thinking if something happens tomorrow, it's all over. Like it's game over. It's right. all going to end. I'm going to lose it all. And until you go through days of feeling that or moments of feeling that, and it doesn't fall apart, that's how you learn. And I used to say, you know, I know that if I lose a client, someone else will come. And my advisors would say, you don't know, but you're learning. 
And over time, I've learned that, you know, it's not a personal thing. And if someone's budget gets cut or they decide to bring it in house, like it's all good. There are more, there's going to be more clients or there's going to be other opportunities. And slowly but surely, you know, I've realized that when one door closes, it's so true that three, three more open, not just one, you know, mm-hmm. and I've, it's a practice. It's a daily practice to remind myself that not to ride the highs and the lows and to try to stay somewhere in the middle. Um, I, I do still feel overwhelmed. It's not that the feeling goes away, but it's what I do with it that has changed. So I don't go down with it. I don't let it take me down. I sit there and I make a joke and I go, wow, hmm, look at me. I am so overwhelmed right now. And I try to keep it light, you know, because it's not brain surgery and my stresses are real, but no one's, you know, dying tomorrow. So it's, I try to remind myself to keep it light and to remember at the end of the day too, like I'm this busy because I caused it. I'm the one that decided to start a company. So there's really no one else to blame other than myself for the busyness of it all. Um, and, and I try to stay light with it and I really do rely on the people around me. You know, one of my biggest pieces of advice is to find the the business owners or the friends or family or whoever it is you can vet these things to that will remind you of who you are. And Mm -hmm. I, I have to remind myself that a lot. And I think for women and business owners and influencers, like I have, to remember, I am not my business. I have my business and I am obsessed with it and I love it and it's my passion and I work for it. But at the end of the day, it's not who I am. And if something's going right or something's going wrong, I can love it and I can appreciate it, but I don't have to allow it to be my whole identity. Mm, That is so, it's just such real and honest wisdom, really, because I think that a lot of people struggle with kind of creating that boundary, mm-hmm. you know, so many, you know, how do you separate the the personal life, uh, you know, from the brand and business life and, you know, and, and, or how do you blend those when you need to? And it's really kind of creating those boundaries and the points that you really just drove home are great reminders and really just action tips that we can all take away to remember, like, this is a, this is a really simple yet very powerful way that you can create the boundary. So I think that that's, that's a wonderful thing that you just drove home. Um, which kind of leads me to my, to my next question about, you know, mistakes. Um, what is a number one mistake or a big mistake? I should say that you see influencers making in today's market. Mistakes happen all the time. And you know, mistakes are just, that's how you learn. Um, but I think that for what I've noticed is that, and I kind of mentioned this earlier is that there are so many people doing so many things. And I think influencers do tend to make the mistake of trying to be everything, everyone, or to do too much or to be so many different types of, of influencer all in one. And I think that if it comes from an authentic place and you just happen to have different interests and that makes you, you by all means run with it. But I think that there comes a time where, you know, you want to like a brand would set out kind of your path for yourself and, and what makes you unique and the types of messages that you put out there and then stick to it. 
Because what ends up happening is if you do, if you spread yourself too thin across too many different areas, then you're not really known for any one thing. And I think at a certain point, it's really good for influencers to have like a, a known identity in a certain way or space that brands can latch onto and identify with and trust um, and know that, you know, they're speaking to the right audience. So one mistake I would definitely say we see influencers make is just trying to do too much, be too many different people. Um, and, and for lack of a better word, you know, copy what they see other people doing rather than forging their own path. Mm-hmm. Totally. So then on the opposite of that, what would be your, you know, insider tip for long-term success for an influencer or a brand that may be listening today? I feel like I am on repeat, but I really believe in finding your core value and finding your unique value proposition in the industry and in the space and knowing what you're trying to add to the world. Like what is the value that you bring? So as an influencer, what message are you sharing with an audience that a brand might want to be a part of? And as a brand, what service or product or offering are you allowing, you know, your audience to get that an influencer might want to be a part of and continuing to drive that kind of solid mission statement or those core values over and over and over in a, you know, fun or compelling or unique kind of way. So much to the point that people are like, Oh, whatever they're doing, you know, I want to be part of that. Um, and to keep it passionate, like you gotta have passion. Someone told me once, if you don't have passion, you're in the wrong room. Um, and I, and I believe in that. I think, you know, don't force yourself into a certain demographic or a certain audience or a certain work, any situation that you don't believe in because you're going to resent it and it's going to resent you and it's not going to work out. Um, but I think that it sounds cheesy and I always try to get, have my tips be really concrete, um, and not so like woo woo and spiritual, but I really do believe that sticking to your own identity and doing you and keeping your message over and over and over and over is what will make you stand out as an influencer or as a brand. Totally. So for one last question before we wrap this up, I would love to know, as I ask everyone that comes on here, um, what does influence mean to you? Ooh, this is a good one. Influence to me means having a voice and telling a story in a way that evokes some sort of emotion, care, concern, joy, passion in others. So it's really about using your voice, speaking to or for or on behalf of something that you believe in, in such a way that everyone who listens wants a piece of what you're talking about or wants a piece of what you're offering or sits there and says, how do I get involved with that? How do I buy that, join that, go there? How do I insert whatever it is that that person is talking about into my world? I love that. Oh, that's a good one. Chills, chills. Um, So, Callie, where can everyone find you and find Something Social online? So, our website is somethingsocial-la.com. And then you can find me on Instagram at Callie, my first name, C-A-L-L-I. Or um, my company, obviously, Something Social, and that's our handle. 
That's awesome. And what a fantastic Instagram. I mean, it's like the best and easiest Instagram name ever. No one's ever going to mess that up. It's brilliant <laughs> no, that you not. got that. Well, if you are listening today and want to learn more about Callie and her amazing company, Something Social, I would love for you to check out the show notes on this episode where I lay out some of the most important te- takeaways that Callie shared with us today. And you can find those show notes at www.theinfluencerpodcast.com. And Callie, thank you so much again. You are such a bright and inspiring woman. I am always in awe of you and your work. And I thank you again for everything you've done to help this world of blogging and marketing and influence. And I cannot wait to see what else you have in store for us. Thank you so much, Julie. It's been a pleasure. Are you ready to create your own industry leading influence for show notes, downloads, and action-based tips head to www.theinfluencerpodcast.com where you can find out more about this week's episode guest and our host, Julie Solomon. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please take a minute to go to iTunes and leave a review so we can help other influencers like yourself build their own successful business.